Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Colette would have been about one years old, and my wife Sarah was cutting her fingernails. This is Malcolm Bird. He's got a British accent, but he's lived here in the U.S. for the past two decades. He's talking about a fingernail incident that happened back in 2015. On the pinky right at the end, she snipped too far and cut the end of the finger. And there was an enormously large amount of blood. She was reading her a book at the time, and the blood was all over the book and all over Sarah and all over Colette. And it was like, oh my God, what, what have you done here? Malcolm and Sarah were really worried they had injured their daughter. It was the weekend, and the emergency room was the only place that was open. So they bundled Colette up, they wrapped up her finger in this big wad of toilet paper, and they took her to Danbury Hospital in Connecticut. We were brand new parents. We were freaked out. This is the first time that anything bad had happened. They got triaged. They saw a doctor. And he goes... Yeah, no, it's fine. And he explains that at the end of your fingers, it's full of capillaries. So if you cut the end of your finger, it bleeds exponentially more than if you just cut yourself anywhere else. The doctor gave Colette a Band-Aid and sent the family right on home. The Band-Aid actually fell off a little bit afterwards, but Malcolm was completely happy with this visit. The doctor was helpful and nice. Colette, thank goodness, was okay. It really felt like it was an all's well that ends well situation. Except it did not end there. Yeah, so we got the bill here for $629. $629 for a Band-Aid. And the hospital, it totally stood by this bill. Welcome to The Impact, a new show on the Vox Media Podcast Network about how policy affects real lives. I am your host, Sarah Cliff, and I have been dying to make this series because I think too often, policies are treated as these kind of theoretical white paper ideas, but they're not. They have actual impacts and shape the real world that we all live in. This season, we are focusing on my favorite type of policy, healthcare, on the federal, local, even hospital level. And we're going to look at what health policy means for real people across the United States. I wanted to start this season, this entire series, with the story of Malcolm's astronomically expensive Band-Aid because it really shows what I think is the key problem in American healthcare right now. We don't regulate our healthcare prices. In this episode, we will talk about what that means. We will hear from an emergency room doctor who thinks our high prices make total sense, an economist who strongly disagrees, and a grad student who is stuck paying an emergency bill that is even bigger than Malcolm's. But let's start with the basics. What does price regulation even mean? To explain, I am bringing in some of my favorite colleagues here at Vox. Hey. Hello. 
This is Dylan Scott. He is an awesome healthcare reporter. And we are going to pretend right now that Dylan is the administrator of a hospital in a country that is near and dear to my heart, Canada. Yeah, and I think I've been thinking about it for a while. I think I want to be from Montreal if we're going to do this. Okay, cool. So Dylan runs this Montreal hospital. I am the Canadian government in this situation. So I am paying the bills for all the patients who show up at Dylan's hospital. I kind of just get to tell Dylan how much I'm going to pay for a Band-Aid or an X-ray or a doctor's visit. It goes something like this. So I think a doctor's visit at your hospital should be about $30. Well, on the other hand, our doctors all went to medical school. They have really big student loans. We have to pay our nurses. We have all of this okay, yeah, equipment. Okay, yeah, yeah, this is fine, but like we have $30 to pay you for each doctor visit. But we really need 90 in order to make, you know, our bank accounts work and everything. I, I think we need 90. So, Dylan, I hate to break it to you, but I literally insure all of your patients. And $30 is what we've got. If you don't accept that, like, you're not going to have any patients at your so empty you, Montreal hospital. You're telling me that it's either $30 or $0? Yes. Well, then I guess we have no choice but to make the $30 work. All right. Good. Good luck at your hospital. <laughs> so... Obviously, the conversation is not quite that simple, but this is basically how healthcare pricing works in a lot of countries around the world. The government sets the prices, and if the hospitals want to have any patients at all, they have to accept the government prices. Uh, can, can I be America? USA! USA! <laughs> yes. For the sake of this exercise, Matt Iglesias, who co-hosts The Weeds with me, is going to be an American hospital administrator. And I'm not playing the U.S. government this time. I am just... Sarah Schmera from my small little insurance company. I don't cover everyone. I cover some small portion of the United States population. So, so where's your hospital? My hospital is in the great American city of Toledo. Okay. So, so we're in Toledo. Matt's the American hospital administrator. How much do you want to visit with a doctor at your hospital to cost, Matt? 90 bucks. Freedom. USA. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is way too high. Like, it seems like a lot of waste is going on in your hospital. We want to pay you guys $30. No, nah, I don't think so. 40 uh, look, you know, I'm, I'm talking to this other insurance company, uh, Ezra Klein Co., and, and they seem pretty okay with covering the 90. So, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna see their patients. Fifty dollars? Well, you know, maybe you don't want any clients. Uh, the fact is, if you want to cover people in Toledo, they're gonna want to come to my hospital, and I want 90 bucks. <sighs> okay, fine. We'll pay you 90 dollars. You'll stay in our network. Woo! Freedom. <laughs> This is also very simplified, but it shows why the prices in the United States are higher for everything. The average doctor's visit in Canada, where I grew up, it really is about $30 compared to $90 in the U.S. Even though American doctors charge a lot more, there's not really evidence they are making us any healthier. There is this one report I just love from the International Federation of Health Plans. It looks at all kinds of medical services, prescription drugs, MRIs, doctor visits, C-sections, and it compares the prices you pay here to the price you'd pay in another country, like Sweden, England, or Australia. The U.S. is routinely number one, as in we're paying the most for everything. Because when American hospitals get to set their prices, of course they set them sky high. We are going to take a quick break, but we will be back to talk about those sky-high prices, listen to an emergency room doctor who defends them, and tell you what happened with that $629 Band-Aid. 
Welcome back to The Impact, a new show from Vox about how policy affects people. Today, we are looking at the American policy of not regulating healthcare prices. We're looking at how that led to a man named Malcolm Byrd getting a $629 bill for a Band-Aid. When Malcolm first got that bill, he thought it was absurd. So he wrote the hospital an email. He was expecting them to say, Don't worry, we'll just wipe that one clean because that was a little bit ridiculous. That wasn't the reaction he got. Instead, the president of Danbury Hospital sent him a letter. So it says, as it relates to your complaint, I have a perspective different from yours that I'd like to share with you. After receiving your email, I requested the bill so that I could review it, and I now see the Band-Aid charge was $7, not $629. The hospital president is saying, no, 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 no. The Band-Aid was only $7, which is obviously an incredibly overpriced Band-Aid, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Right now, we're going to focus on the other $622 of Malcolm's bill. This is a charge for something called a facility fee. Facility fees are the price you pay for walking into any American emergency room and seeking some level of medical service. These fees usually are not posted anywhere. You won't see them on the door of the emergency room when you go in. You usually only learn what your hospital's facility fee is when you get a bill. The hospital president made the argument that these fees were absolutely necessary to keep his emergency room up and running. We staff our emergency department 24 hours a day, every day of the year, and stand ready to treat whoever comes through the door, be it a gunshot victim or a patient with a stroke or heart attack. We have invested millions of dollars in a state-of-the-art emergency department and have recruited and retained outstanding staff. I mean, the cost of my training, the cost of the nurses that are down there. That's Ryan Stanton. He is an emergency room doctor in Lexington, Kentucky, and also a spokesperson for the American College of Emergency Physicians. He told us that staffing an emergency room is really hard. He and the other doctors, they have to be ready at any time. We're working all the weekends. We're working all the holidays. I've spent many, many Christmas in an emergency room taking care of sick people or having somebody die in front of me. Then I have, you know, at, at home, you know, for the kids walking downstairs and Santa and all that other stuff. And he has to be ready for anything. If you imagine there's any presentation possible in the human condition, I theoretically have to be ready to deal with it. That means having the right equipment. Ryan gave us the example of something called a precipitous delivery tray, which you can basically think of as the, oh my God, there's a baby coming right now crash cart with all the tools you would need for delivery. Ryan told us about this one Thursday night. He's at the emergency room. His shift is almost over. And then this woman comes in. It's like, I've got really bad belly pain. It's cramping. It's really bad. I'm like, I think you're pregnant, but I don't know. This was one of the biggest surprises of my interview with Ryan. It turns out people actually do go to the emergency room, totally unaware they're pregnant and just about to deliver. And uh, she says, I feel the urge uh, to push. And then she just did a little, Just a little little sound just like that, and this baby shoots out onto the bed. The baby wasn't breathing, but luckily, the emergency room, it had one of those special delivery trays. You know, that's when you need that stuff. It's not when I, I can't call and say, hey, I need a precipitous delivery tray. You know, if you can get that down here in the next 14 seconds, that would be awesome. Ryan says that this is where facility fees come from. All that special equipment you have to have hanging around. Most ERs have a room of trays, and some of them may not be open for decades. But when they do, then you have to have them. There's a lot of cost associated with that. 
Malcolm might be going in for a bleeding pinky, but someone else is coming in with a baby that will die if the right equipment isn't there at the right time. That, according to Ryan, is why emergency room charges are so high. And to a certain extent, Malcolm gets that. In the United Kingdom, where he used to live, he says the cost of going to the emergency room is way lower, but the experience is totally different. We only have four doctors on duty, and even if you've got a gunshot wound, it's going to take 30 minutes to see you because we, yeah, we don't have the manpower. Whereas in America... The hospitals are full of doctors. They're full of fancy machines that go bing, but you have to pay for it, and you pay an enormously large amount of money for it. Malcolm and Ryan, they both kind of saw American healthcare like this trade-off. In the United States, you can have all the resources in the world and pay really high prices. Or in other countries, you have a lot lower prices, but really limited resources. Except it is not quite that simple. I think the charge part's worth digging into in some detail. This is Zach Cooper. He's a health economist at Yale who is obsessed with emergency bills. We actually reached out to him after he wrote this great paper about surprise fees that people pay in the emergency room. He put it to us this way. In most parts of our economy, prices are set through supply and demand. Like you can't just sort of name some crazy price because if you do, nobody will buy it. So it's, it's this sort of competitive process, this sort of negotiation that generates prices. But in the American healthcare system... Charges are just sort of made up. We don't shop for healthcare like we shop for other things. Often, we have no choice when we go into the emergency room. So we're going to pay whatever the fee is. And Zach, he doesn't have a lot of patience for this argument that high facility fees are just the cost of keeping an emergency room open. It's like saying, I'm going to make up a price. And if only you just paid me that made up price, like I'd be happy. To give you a really concrete example, let's set aside the facility fee for a moment. Let's go back to the actual price of the Band-Aid in Malcolm's bill. The hospital charged $7 for one Band-Aid. This seemed super high to me, so I decided to walk over to the CVS. It's just about two blocks from our office in downtown D.C., right in Farragut Square, to see how much Band-Aids cost there. Okay, so they have a unit price, which is great. We have eight-cent Band-Aids. Those are like seem to be our cheapest. Here, 96 cent band-aids. So these are the Max Flex fabric band-aids. They're antibacterial. They are flexible materials that move with you. Oh god, look at these freaking cartoon dogs. You could have two boxes for the price of that one band-aid. End of story, I now have an awesome box of 20 Snoopy band-aids on my desk. They are great, and they only set me back five dollars and seven cents, including tax. A box with 20 of Malcolm's hospital band-aids, which have no cartoons at all. That box would have cost me $140. So why are Malcolm's Band-Aids so expensive? A lot of hospitals, like in the 70s, they basically like made a list of things and came up with some number that made sense then. And it was in a book and then some guy adjusts it for inflation. Some hospitals came up with these numbers decades ago. Some came up with them in the last few years. But in either case, these prices just aren't connected to reality. And when it comes to something like a facility fee, we're not talking about $7. We're talking about hundreds or even thousands of dollars. I'm Erica Siegel. I'm a researcher at UC San Francisco. About a year ago, Erica got into a pretty bad bike accident. I was in San Francisco biking around and someone in an Uber flung their door open. It hit me. I flew off my bike. I got hurt. 
um, and I had my wedding ring on, which sort of smashed my finger. The police officer at the scene told her she should go to the emergency room, and she did. It turns out her finger was just bruised. She saw the doctor briefly, she got a splint and a tetanus shot, and then she was discharged. So I get home, you know, time goes on, blah, blah, blah. And about six weeks later, I get a bill in the mail that is $4,600. $4,658 to be exact. Most of that was her facility fee, $3,170. What on earth could possibly have cost them $3,170? I was so shocked. Like Malcolm, Erica reached out to the hospital by phone this time. And the guy on the phone said, well, you know, that information is designated by people who have degrees in medical billing. Do you have a degree in medical billing? <laughs> and I was like, well, you got me there. I sure don't. <laughs> a few weeks ago, we reached out to listeners of my other podcast, The Weeds, for stories about emergency room bills. We got dozens of responses, and the facility fees were all over the place. So there's a general classification emergency room cost, which is $533. $1,543. $1,889 for me sitting there in the room. The $751 was just the emergency room fee. No other line items on the bill besides that. Some fees were in the hundreds, some were in the thousands. Now, sometimes emergency rooms do charge higher facility fees if you come in with something really intense. And the people we heard from, they lived in really different markets, North Carolina, Connecticut, California, and Ohio. So some level of variation does make sense. But facility fees are also like any other American healthcare price. Hospitals can bill whatever they want. Insurance companies try to negotiate the price down, but they don't really have the kind of bargaining power that a government body would. In Erica's case, the $3,000 plus facility fee was what the insurance paid after negotiation. And she was still left with a bill that was really high. It ended up on my end costing $900. Erica's a grad student. That is not a trivial amount of money for her. She plans to pay the bill, but she hasn't yet. Who can pay that? <laughs> I mean, who is just like no big deal, you know? The bill made Erica rethink her approach to getting treatment. Every healthcare decision I make, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, this is going to cost me $1,500 and maybe I don't have that this month. So do I have to go to the doctor? Malcolm's story has a pretty different ending. He didn't pay the bill, kind of an act of protest on his part. It went into debt collection. Then he got in touch with me. He sent me the bill. He sent me that letter from the hospital, the one where they said they needed that money to... Staff our emergency department 24 hours a day, every day of the year, and stand ready to treat whoever comes through the door. After Malcolm sent me his bill, I called up the hospital to ask them how they set their facility fees. They never responded to my emails or my phone calls. But a few days later, the hospital told Malcolm they were going to waive the bill entirely. The emergency room stayed open... The lights stayed on, even without Malcolm's facility fee. In the United States, medical bills are a leading cause of bankruptcy. Last year alone, 770,000 people filed for bankruptcy because they had health care bills they just couldn't pay. People like Erica now think twice about going to get health care because they're scared of the costs. 
Other healthcare systems have way more bargaining power than a reporter calling up a hospital to ask about a medical bill. These countries decide what is a fair price for a Band-Aid or a facility fee. Our healthcare system, it just doesn't work that way. And all of us, as patients, we end up paying the price. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of The Impact. Before we let you go, we need your help. We here at Vox are launching a big new project today, a project that was inspired by this very story. We are creating a database of emergency facility fees from all across the country. Since hospitals keep these charges secret, we need you, our readers and our listeners, to send us your bills so we can write stories and create graphics about how much these fees actually cost. You can learn more and submit a bill at erbills.vox.com. That's erbills.vox.com. It only takes about 10 minutes, and you'll be helping us out so, so much. We want your feedback on this podcast, too. We want to hear what you liked, what you didn't, what you'd like to hear in upcoming episodes. Email us at impactvox.com and tell us what you thought. Our producer is Bird Pinkerton. Our editor is Amy Drozdowska. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Music and engineering from Miles Ewell. And my co-creator on the show is Liz Shelton's. A big thanks to some people we interviewed for this show, including Renee Shaw, Jeff Esposito, Emily Trapani, Brian Canup, Alicia Lopez, and Adam Park. And thank you to Allison Rocky and Laura McGann here in the Vox Newsroom for some major editorial help. Keep on listening. This season, we have all sorts of stories. We have stories about the opioid epidemic. Maybe this would be a good opportunity for me to see to what extent I still need this medication. Stories about fax machines. Stop sending patient records by fax to my home number. And stories about debates that just won't end. If somebody can send me a study that gives me 100% of surety, then I'm very happy to change my mind. Subscribe, leave us a review, and again, send us an email at impact at We'll see you next week.